Thank you, Taylor. Um, you know, I think when I heard that text that Taylor read, it just it makes me think of how the Apostle Paul is like drawing our, our thoughts and our, our minds and our imaginations way, way, way up in the sky to get a, a super big perspective. And I need that. Uh, I'm thinking about um, this coming Saturday. This Saturday will mark uh, the third year since my dear wife Cynthia died. And um, I try to like grab onto a word that would make sense for me, uh, what I've experienced in the last three years. And I, I think about I think about all of us because the last three years, you know, we've all been marked by challenge and difficulty and transition and frustration and discord because we went through this you know pandemic and um, and it's strange because uh, my wife died on March 18th and two days later shut the country down and they said uh, hey don't go to your friend's house uh, don't touch anyone wash your groceries on the front porch before you bring them in the house and there I am missing Cynthia so whenever I hear about COVID, I think, yeah, yeah, and COVID, and. And uh, the word that's come to my, um, to my mind about the last three years, and maybe this resonates with you a little bit, is disorientation. And the Apostle Paul is drawing my thoughts up to address that disorientation, that dislocation, that um, nothing will be the same. It's all changed now. Um, what what really am I, am I going to do? And, um, I, you know, I think that, that uh, when we think about growing deep in Christ, when we think about growing up and becoming a mature person, when we think about being a decent human being, I've always uh, been drawn to these three big questions that I think all of us ask every day. Who am I? And uh, where do I fit? And what can I do? Those are identity questions, and, and we wrestle with them all the time. And part of being mature is getting really good, solid answers to those questions. And those questions are particularly poignant and rush through the body of an adolescent who is now really trying to figure out, who am I, you know, in distinction from my parents? You know, who am I? And, and, uh, and, and where do I fit? Who are my friends? Where do I belong? It's like it just drives a teenager every single day, and, and, and then, you know, what, what can I do? Do I have power, <laughs> you know? My parents have all the power. Now, how about if I have some power? And that's, that's part of growing up, but, you know, we never leave that. I don't think we ever leave that. And when Cynthia died, those questions came rushing back to me. Who am I? And, and wh where do I belong without her? And... Uh, my whole calling, my purpose, like, you know, being a pastor and what, what's the future? And uh, the last three years have been really quite a journey. It's, it's been a disorienting journey. And I, I want to look at this text and jump into this idea of what does it mean to grow up, to mature, to be a mature follower of Jesus in the midst of a disorienting world? And see what the resurrection of Jesus has um, for us. And uh, so if you have the text in front of you, I think it's really great to just keep your eyes on it. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my life. This is, you know, uh, this is vulnerable for me to share 
some stuff and um, to reflect on this text through my own experience. And I just, I just pray that there'll be a place that will connect with you in your own journey uh, right now. But Paul gives us a re- he has a reason for praying. And he says, for this reason, I keep on praying for you. And when he says for this reason, he's really referring to what he's already said in the first part of this chapter. And I won't go into that. But there, there's, there's a kind of three driving motivations that Paul has because he says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he says in, in verse 4, he says, Before the foundation of the world, he chose you. We have been handpicked by Jesus. Before he created the universe, he called you by name. And then in verse 7, he says, yeah, now in present time, we're continually being redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That word is rescued. We're being rescued from a situation in which we're powerless to save ourselves. Verse 7. And then in verse 13 and 14, he says that after you believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of your future inheritance. So Paul, in these first verses, which by the way is one long run-on sentence. There's only commas. There's no periods. And Paul's like just, just belting it out. In eternity past, you're chosen. Right now, you're being redeemed and rescued. And in the future, you're secured by the Holy Spirit. He can't help but pray. But he has another reason. He says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I don't stop praying. Your faith in Jesus, that's the vertical. And for a maturing disciple, as we grow deeper in our faith with Jesus, it extends out in greater and wider love for all sorts of people along the way. That, that's what growing deep with Jesus is. Deeper faith, higher faith, broader love for one another. And then he goes on to say, I keep on asking. I keep on asking, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And someone, you know, was talking the other day about the challenges in the church in America and what's happening in churches and sort of our struggle. And, and this person, wise, wise person said, I, I really think that this here is, um, is the focus, that if we as believers would know Jesus better, know him better. And that word know is a really, it's an interesting word. It's not the word that says get a bunch of knowledge in your head, like facts and figures. And it's not, it's, there is that kind of knowledge, but this is not the knowledge that Paul's talking about. What Paul's talking about is a knowledge that, that, that you attain through personal experience, through being in the trenches. You've actually experienced this. I'll give you an illustration. Let's say you wanted to learn how to, um, how to skydive. Has anyone jumped out of an airplane? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my. Oh, only on this side? What's, what's up with this side? There you go, baby. Yeah. Okay. Kudos to you. I fell off a 70-foot cliff and broke most of the bones in my body. I am not jumping out of an airplane. Let me tell you. If 
but I have huge respect and props for you. But let's say that the rest of us wanted to learn how to skydive, and so we do what you do. We went on YouTube, and we, you know, found an a, a, a online lesson, you know, and they talk about your parachute and how to pack it and how to pull the cord, when to jump, and, all, you know, I mean, all the little details. You go, I got it down, man. This is good. I know all about skydiving. This is super, super cool. And then you decided, I'm, I think I'm now going to watch videos of other people jumping out of airplanes. You go, man, that is so cool. Look, I know what they're doing. I know the timing, and I know how they pack their, their chute, and I know when they pulled the cord, and I, I know all that stuff. Okay, that's one kind of knowledge, right? It's a really different kind of knowledge for you to go take a real lesson and then get in an airplane and jump out. And those that have done it before know exactly what I'm talking about, even though I don't. But those are the two different kind of knowledge. And this knowledge Paul is talking about that you may know him better, it's the jump out of an airplane kind of knowledge. Like, I know this. And uh, some of you know or knew my wife, Cynthia, and uh, you were friends with her. You knew quite a bit about it. A lot of you don't know her at all. You never met her. You never had the privilege of meeting her. Um, but, but you, you know, I could tell stories about her. You could go on her Instagram page and you could see, wow, she's a really talented person. She, she got into aerial arts, you know, and so you learned some things about Cynthia. I know Cynthia. I know her voice. Uh, I know all the details. That, that's the kind of knowledge that Paul is talking about. It's the knowledge that is up close. It changes your life. Uh, because you, you have, you have let it, you've let it penetrate into your heart. So in Paul's prayer, there's, there's basically in him wanting to know God better, there, there's these three things that he prays, and, and Taylor read it. In verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. In order, one, that you may know the hope to which he's called you, Number two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And then number three, and this is, this is the place that I want to land. That you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he says this really interesting statement. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That thing has captured my imagination and my thoughts. What does that mean? That God has granted us this incomparably great power. This is, this is the word power is dynamite, dunamis. It, it, is, it is the most beyond imagining kind of power more than the world has ever known. That is the power that God has gifted to us. And that power is the exact same power that he put into, into, into use when he brought Jesus back from the dead. I want to wrestle with that for a few moments with you here. What does it mean for you and me to have that kind of power residing inside of us? And so I, I just, I 
thought about this, and I actually, I read the entire New Testament and took notes and jotted down every place that I saw the Gospels, the letters, Revelation, talk about the resurrection. Anything that hinted at the writer referring to the resurrection, and um, this uh, Taylor is probably suicide, uh, sermon suicide, but I came up with eight, eight, uh, like, mind-blowing ideas, and I said that, you know, this is really not about head knowledge, and now I'm going to dump a bunch of head knowledge on you, but it's not, it's not for your head, it's for your heart, and um, you won't remember these, you don't need to remember these, I want you to let them wash over you, because that's, that's what Paul is doing with his prayer, and there may be a place where I pray the Holy Spirit will intersect my words and the resurrection power with your journey in your life. That's what you grab onto. And um, look at ESPN the rest of the time. It's all right. <laughs> it's really okay. So I know eight sounds, eight sounds like a lot, but watch how fast I go through these, okay? We're going we're gonna to keep on moving. Okay. Here are eight things that I think are, um, are ours, the realities for you and me in this journey of growing deep in our relationship with Jesus and maturing in our love for one another. And there, there are eight things that I have, I have taken deep into my heart as I've journeyed um, through grief. Three years of grief um, in losing, losing dear Cynthia. Okay, number one, the resurrection confirms our complete and ongoing forgiveness. In other words, the resurrection secures our salvation. And it allows us to be secure in ongoing uh, forgiveness. Ephesians and Colossians both say, you know, at one point in time, you were dead. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. You had no hope in the world. But we've been made alive in Christ. We are alive because of the resurrection. Now, we could end up worshiping Jesus who died on the cross. But if he didn't raise from the dead, we're worshiping a dead guy. The resurrection says, no. That blood he shed on the cross for you is made real because he rose from the dead. Hebrews 10.22, he entered in. Jesus entered into the most holy place, Hebrews says. He entered, you know, through the curtain as he tore it open. He entered into the very, the very dearest place of God. And because Jesus, alive, risen from the dead, has gone into that place, the writer says, so let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith, the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. It's amazing. Um, when Cynthia died, uh, all sorts of reflections and of course, a reflection on a 35-year marriage and really just an amazing marriage and raising our family and all the, all the just amazing things. But you want to know what else began to creep in? It was really strange, but I began to feel so much regret. Like I began to now focus and perseverate on all the ways that I was not a good husband all the ways that I could have done better, all the ways where I was selfish. And man, I'm telling you, the narrative in my head, it was really, it was really hard. Um, 
And I went through a process in doing this work to come to the foot of the cross and, um, and know that I was forgiven. That, yeah, I was a pretty good husband, but I was flawed. Our marriage was amazing, but it wasn't that amazing. And I was able to receive full assurance and forgiveness. And you know what happens when you, when you learn to forgive yourself? It opens the door to forgive other people. And my friends, we, we are in a world where the, the world is desperate for forgiveness and for reconciliation in relationships. And we love because he first loved us. And the resurrection continues to confirm that. Secondly, the resurrection declares that we are not stuck in our dysfunction. Now, I got some news for you. Every single person in this room, my friends, you are dysfunctional. <laughs> we all are. I am a dysfunctional person. And here's the strange thing that happens with grief that I didn't know, but I discovered. When you decide to look grief in the face, and I told my therapist way in the beginning, I said, I, I want to I stare this right in the face. I don't want to look away. I want to go all the way to the bottom of this to deal with the most devastating experience in my life. And so I did, and he helped me, and I did this work. And I began to not, not uh, have the grief disappear, but to be right-sized and to, I, I, could, I, could live, I could live with it. I could, I could look at it. It didn't, wasn't crushing me. But something happens when you deal with grief little by little, and eventually there's going to be some layers peeled off in your life. And you're going to discover some things about your past that you've not dealt with, that you've buried. Other situations that you have not yet well grieved. And that, my friends, was a very painful process. To have those layers peeled off. And yet it brought so much freedom. To go there. To do the work. To let the resurrected Jesus gently just point out different areas. Romans says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might have new life. As promised all the way along by Jesus in this journey of grief. There is a new life possible for you. You can address these patterns that come from your family of origin, from your own choices and mistakes. You can deal with um, uh, the, 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 the dysfunctions, the, the ways that you have um, allowed the image of God to be blurred and marred over. Bill, it's possible for those layers to be taken off and for you to live with that, with, live with that forgiveness and to, one by one, address the dysfunctions in your life. There is hope for a new life. I don't have to be stuck where I am. That has been so liberating. Friends, that doesn't happen overnight. Okay, three. Resur All these things, they prompt me to want to say more, and I'm not going to. Number three, resurrection opens the door for us to receive the Holy Spirit. Of course, you saw that. Jesus said, hey, unless I leave, 
The Holy Spirit's not coming. And thank God that the Holy Spirit has come. And we could talk all about that. But he is right now moving in our midst. Number four, resurrection prompts miraculous yet unusual healing. And what I mean, I mean by that is that, um, you know, you saw in the early church, there was just this, this um, huge rushing of healing, this weird, strange healing. People were, were you know, the lame were walking and, and people's illnesses were being, being healed. Um, by the power of the name of Jesus, the resurrected name of Jesus, all the healing was tied to his resurrection. So healing is possible. Total healing is possible. But here's the thing I noticed when I read through the rest of the New Testament. The New Testament's emphasis on healing dropped way, way off. And I could say more about that. I'm not, I'll wait till the end. But that has been in my head because our church prayed, prayed for Cynthia to be healed. And we pray for one another to be healed. And God has demonstrated through the power of the risen Christ that he can heal. Number five, resurrection invites us to find our purpose in God's greater story. I can remember at 721 when Cynthia died, I just stood there and looked at her dead body. And I said, my life's over. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I felt like my life was over. There's, there was no future. I, I, was, I was lost. I was untethered from a, a, a connection with myself, my identity, my call as a pastor. And, um, and Jesus has uh, slowly but surely invited me back into being a participant in the, in the grand story that he's doing, you know, in the early church, when they saw Jesus and he ascended, that unleashed the church to just amazing boldness. They, they proclaimed Jesus is alive. Jesus is the Lord. And, and they just went to work. They were witnesses. They were evangelists. And then they were so generous. The resurrected Jesus called them into this grand story of where there's death, where there's pain, where there's sorrow. The Christians rushed in. To bring touch and hope and health and healing and generosity, their generosity for one another and for the mission of God, it grew out of their life being impacted by the risen Jesus. It's interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's a, a whole section about the resurrection. It's just a powerful section, and Paul is talking boldly about the resurrection and what it means for us, but then he throws in this little uh, well-known phrase. He says, look, some of you don't believe in the resurrection. You, you, you don't think it actually happened. And he said, if that's really true, then, and he threw out this phrase, then let's eat, let's drink, because tomorrow we die. Like, what's the point? What's the purpose? And I, I felt that. And you know what happens when you've lost your way, when you've lost your purpose, when you don't have hope? you can easily go down the road of numbing your pain. And my friends, that, that's a dark place to be. And Jesus, his, his, in his resurrection, he invites us, no, 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 you can look this pain in the face and you can join me in bringing our world to a better place. But you can, you can join me in bringing, bringing Eden back where you can touch, where you can influence. 
And he's done that for me. I, I'm, I am so grateful to be able to serve here at the River Church and to have a hope and to have a meaning and to know that I, I am called by him to do my part uh, in the, in the um, future. Number six, the resurrection of Jesus proves that our grave is not the last word. Now, I got, I got news for you. Most of you are pretty young. You don't think about this all the time, and I don't think you really should, but let me tell you something. It's pretty much 100% we're all headed to the grave. There, there's a date on the calendar when the days that he ordained for us are done. And the resurrection of Jesus trumps that and says, yes, but the grave does not have the last word. For me, this has brought so much hope because I, I just, I perseverate often on asking the question, Cynthia, what are you doing? Where are you right now? What, really, where are you? I mean, let alone that, I ask Jesus, where, where are you? Because you rose with a physical body. Where are you? And Cynthia, what are you doing? Can you hear me? Are you paying attention? Are you aware of the work I'm doing? I've been drawn to 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. I want your hearts to be enlightened. I want you to understand and really know with your gut about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, now notice what he says there. He doesn't say that, hey, Christians, buck up. Jesus is the victor. No grief around here. No sad faces around here. That's not what he says. He says grieving is a part of life. Grieving is, is okay. Grieving is important. But we don't have to do it with no hope. We can grieve with the backdrop of the resurrection hope. Because it goes on to say, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I believe there's a day when we'll hear a trumpet sound. I don't know what it's going to be like. But it says, then the dead in Christ will rise. I believe that there will be a day when Cynthia will leap out of that grave. And it says, those of us who were alive when Jesus returns will join him in the air, and thus we'll be with the Lord forever. New bodies, new hope. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I grieve with that hope in my heart. And Paul says in Philippians, this really beautiful little phrase, it says that Jesus will then transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. There's a hint. It doesn't tell us a lot, but Jesus had a body. They touched him. They saw his scars. He cooked fish and ate breakfast with them after he rose from the dead. And so if you want a a picture of what the person that you love who's died, you want want a picture someday? Their body's going to be like Jesus. They're going to rise again someday. Number seven, resurrection demotes every authority below Jesus. And we live in a world where now there's a lot of grasping for power. 
People are afraid to lose their power. People are wielding power over others. And our text that Taylor has written says that power he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him, where? At his right hand, that's the place of authority, in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Jesus is Lord. That was the that was the cry of the early believers. Jesus is Lord, which means nobody else is. Now, now we live in a world where there's all sorts of, of authorities and powers, and we have to live with them, we have to jostle, and sometimes it's uncomfortable and we disagree with them. I mean, I'm grateful for uh, a sense of order and, 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 um, and power in this world. Um, but behind those powers, too, there are... There are um, spiritual beings. There is, a, there is a war going on in the heavenlies, and there are actual real powers. And Jesus defeated them on the cross. They have been disarmed. They have no more authority in this world. Now, unfortunately, they haven't quite realized yet that they're not in charge. And so there's a real battle going on. You and I still live in a very evil world. But none of those authorities threaten Jesus as the Lord. And Philippians tells us that one day every single knee and every single tongue, tongue, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That is where we're headed. And we get the privilege of declaring that Jesus is Lord in my life and in my family and in my community right now. We have that authority. There's a, um, there, there's, a, there's a term in therapy, and I'm, I'm no therapist, so I'm not trained, but there's a term that I've discovered, and it's the term catastrophizing. Catastrophizing means that when we see something troubling around us, we, um, we imagine that the absolute worst is going to happen. There is a lot of catastrophizing happening in our world today. A lot of narratives. In fact, if you actually watch um, news, I know some of you do, some of you don't, but if you watch news, cable news, or I mean, especially the local news, the term breaking news or the term what you need to know is a clear signal that someone is about to catastrophize. And we get a steady diet today of catastrophizing. Jesus is the Lord. He invites us to take a breath, to breathe, to really know by experience the resurrection power that yes, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. It's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Doesn't mean there isn't a struggle, and that leads me to my, to my last one, number eight. The resurrection, this power, it meets us in our suffering. It meets us right where we suffer. There's something that I have discovered 
painfully so that God does not remove the trouble. But he walks with us right through the middle of it. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. I've, I've lived, I'm just being honest, I lived through some really dark days. Um, and uh, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And in those moments of quiet and reflection and doing the work, surrendering my fears and my future to God, Jesus has shown up. He's been there. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, and he's a model of the resurrection power that meets us in our trouble. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay. Broken jars of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power, this resurrection power, is from God and not ourselves. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Friends, we have grown accustomed to being comfortable, and that's a good thing. Nobody wants pain. But we have become so enamored with comfort that sometimes we're surprised when life is hard. Wait a minute. I I thought in trusting Jesus that, that all this was supposed to be light and easy and fun because our muscles have grown weak in understanding that we have a broken life. We have a, a temporary shell. And uh, Paul wrestled with Jesus and begged him, said, could you not make this easier? Could you not take this away? Help me, help me get around this. Help me not, for this not to come my way. I don't want to go through this. And Jesus said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. He said, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So a phrase that I've repeated over and over and over the last couple years. There's grace for this. There's grace for this. Whatever... Whatever situation comes your way, and I know that it will include trouble, and I know that it will include suffering. We all have a unique journey, but my friends, there is grace for this. Because it doesn't mean that he eliminates the hardship. It means that he'll be with us right in the middle. My broken life, and it's broken, is a jar of clay to manifest his power, his resurrection power. So um, I'm going to invite us just to be really still, quiet for a moment, and um, 
There might be something that you heard in the last 30 minutes. That the Holy Spirit is going to take and apply to your heart right now. And for you to delight in welcoming the power of the resurrection to find its way into your situation. In a moment, our communion is going to be passed down the row, starting in the front, and Taylor's going to lead us through communion. So let's just be still before the Lord and let Jesus speak to your heart. around now, the elements to be passed around. Stay in this, um, this moment of just listening as it, as it goes around. Um, and, you know, um, we really believe when we gather here, we're, we're operating as a spiritual family, um, not just um, attendees in an event. And um, I feel prompted right now to um, let the Lord work through each other, to minister to each other right now. Um, and so if you is just in this, we're in this quiet moment of reflection and listening and Bill took us through these implications that are weaved throughout the New Testament of the resurrection of Jesus. And if you feel like there's, um, there's one of those things that stood out to you that you need a fresh experience with. We talked about the resurrection confirming our complete and ongoing forgiveness, declaring that we're not stuck in dysfunction, allowing us to receive the spirit prompting miraculous and un yet unusual healing, finding purpose in God's greater story, proving the grave's not the last word, demoting every authority below Jesus, meeting us in our suffering. One of those things um, stands out to you as something that you need a, a fresh experience of. I'm just gonna invite you right now just to um, raise your hand if there's one of them, and we're just gonna take a moment to, um, I'm gonna pray, but um, we're gonna in solidarity pray for anyone that needs a fresh experience of those things. So if that's you, if you feel like you need a fresh experience of anything that Bill talked about, any implication of the resurrection, um, this is a time for us to minister to one another. We're not proving anything to one another. This isn't like a sign of whether or not you're in a, you know, a place of immaturity or anything like that. This is just a moment to, to need a fresh encounter of the Lord. So if that's you, um, just take a moment here, continue to listen to the Spirit. Just go ahead and raise your hand. 
pray in a moment. that needs just a fresh uh, fresh experience of the implications of the resurrection would you uh, just lift your hand up if there's anyone around you that you see with their, with their hand raised or that you just feel led to um, go ahead and lay a hand on them um, just as a solid sign of solidarity fresh experience of the resurrection power of Jesus. I just, anyone that um, feels prompted, whether in raised hand or not, um, to experience you in a fresh way and experience the power of the resurrection in a fresh way, I pray that you'd meet them. I affirm what you're doing, Holy Spirit, in their life. Affirm what you're speaking. I pray just for um, right now, Holy Spirit, would you bring fresh encounter of your presence of the resurrected Jesus. Jesus, you're alive right now. And you give power by your spirit for that resurrected life now. And so I pray, God, that um, anyone that needs to experience it would. gives the resurrection power is what kind of comes before it, which is Jesus' death. His death on our plate, in our place, on our behalf, putting himself in the place of sinners, though he had never sinned, taking on all our sin, past, present, and future, and in victory over the powers of darkness. And so right now, we experience the resurrection by declaring the victory of Jesus' death. Declare it over ourselves. And so, um, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup, or sorry, he took the bread. So take the bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And we take right now in remembrance of Jesus. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. And we take now in remembrance of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for your grace. Grateful for the resurrection power that we experience in you, in part now and one day in full. And um, we pray as we just come and, and worship you and have a moment from what we're, we're hearing to go from our heads to our hearts, I pray that you'd meet us in our worship. Equip us as a family to be the hands and feet of Jesus to each other and to the South Bay. Love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're gonna sing a song. Um, if anyone would like prayer for something specific, we're gonna have a few few people in the back um, that would love to pray, love to invite the power of God into our lives and the resurrected power of Jesus into our lives. So let's worship. Why don't we stand as we finish? sing this together, How Great the Chasm. How great the chasm that lay between us 
could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven Spoke your name into the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul The work is finished The end is written Jesus Christ My living hope Who can imagine so great a mercy? Who could imagine So great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross, the cross is spoken. I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me His own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the one who sets me Sing it again. Hallelujah. Oh. 
Sing hallelujah one last time. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. God, you are my living hope. You are our living hope, Jesus. When darkness tries to hide your face, there is no competition. You show up every time. Your light is stronger. Your light is brighter. So Jesus, even in the places of sorrow and grief and wrestling, would you catch us and hold us and have the faith for us? I'm just reminded of Moses when he was too tired to continue. He had his brothers hold his arms up. So those of us that are in this room that just need people around us to hold us up, Lord, would you bring those people fully confident and secure in your love for us and your goodness. When we are faint of heart, would you bring those people around us? May this be the foundation of our week. And as we continue in this series, the resurrection power and life. We are so thankful that you are living home. So Jesus, we worship you. We honor you. We thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll bless you guys. We're going to play a little longer. Go grab some coffee, donuts, pick up some trash if you see it on your way so we can help the team.